Good morning, the fellowship at Mount Juliet. It's my tremendous privilege to be with you today. It's always great to walk into a place and immediately see people you know. I see you have uh, Delene Cooper is here. I was like, they'll just let anybody go to the fellowship at Mount Juliet. No, she's a great lady, a tremendous help to all of us uh, at Donaldson Christian more so than words could possibly describe. And some other great people that I know here, uh, already feeling very welcome, uh, excited about what you're doing, love your structure. Uh, this is like an event, man. It's like every Sunday, it's like an event uh, when Aaron and the band plays and uh, you guys got a lot of things going on for, for marriages and students and all that. Notice there's a lot of young men. Uh, as being a youth pastor, career-wise, for almost 20 years, I've, I felt like I always had more young ladies than young men. It looks like it balances out here pretty well. And you know, when there's a lot of young men in the youth group, it means one of two things. You either have really good parents and really good leadership, or they ran the girls off. Now, I don't know what you say about these guys. We're going to look at uh, James 1, 22 through 25 to start. James 1, 22 through 25. Before I read that, uh, years ago at Tulip Grove, I was, was probably mid-30s preaching a sermon about train a child up in the way they should go when they're grown. They won't depart from it. And, Trying to help folks understand that's often misunderstood. Uh, when they're grown, um, does not necessarily refer to physical growth because we know that uh, young people raised in Christian homes with solid Christian values don't always go the way they should go. And we see that in practical living. So grown, I was illustrating, I think means spiritual growth. When we're grown, when we have done all the things we're going to talk about today and, and, and accepted God's word as the standard whereby we should live. So I started trying to make an illustration about, um, have you ever known a 30 or 40-year-old adolescent? So I'll ask you all, have you all known one? A, a 30 or someone who was grown but not grown? You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, my friend Mark, I was like, Dad, gum it, Mark. And he always did stuff like this. He said, you, you are. <laughs> Which what he wasn't supposed to say when it was my sermon illustration, you know what I mean? And he said something about, you were up here till 2 o'clock in the morning last night, and you thought we thought you were studying, but we knew you were playing Nintendo 64. It's like, Mark, come on now. I was playing a game called Banjo-Kazooie. Anybody ever heard of it? The Nintendo 64, up all night long. And, and yeah, and I'm a big nerd, and, and I'm a big goofball. I like Star Wars and cartoons and, and all of that geek culture kind of stuff. And he knew better, right? He's, like, he, he's trying to be this, this pronounced a uh, 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 smooth-talking, professional man, but I know he's a goofball. And, and you guys should know, if you don't already know, that is also true of your student pastor, okay? I, I, know, that he seems, I know that he seems very aristocratic, Brian does, and he seems very polished, but he's a goof. And, and, and to prove it to you, he likes new Star Wars, okay? Nobody worth their salt likes new Star Wars. New Star Wars is garbage. Anyway, moving on from all that. James 1, 22 through 25. Listen, I love Brian Early. He's a, a wonderful man. Uh, you guys stole him from me, by the way, if you don't know the history of that. He was working with me over at Lakewood, and you guys stole him. So um, I probably should forgive you, but I haven't yet, okay? But I know he's doing an awesome job out here, and he's been a dear friend uh, to me, as is his wife and daughter. Love you all very much. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Kind of like a guy who thought he was professional and polished, but was really a goofball. The one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in all that he does. 
So I've been talking to another good friend of mine who you all know well, Justin Lett. He said, uh, Dr. Court, we want to talk about Scripture being the plumb line for all that is true, the moral standard for living. And a lot of this has to do with what James is trying to teach us right here. When we go to the Word of God, it is not for our so benefit as much as it is for us to conform to His will. It is for God's benefit that we would be conformed to his will by the standard of his word and live lives according to his word so that we can fulfill the purpose for which he made us. And all too often, like me, we have this picture of ourselves that we think is one thing, Christ-like, holy, noble, good, integrity. And we go to the word of God and it challenges us to dig down deeper and take a longer look and really ask ourselves, okay, I'm a hearer of the Word of God, I'm a student of the Word of God, but how does that manifest in my life? How do people see God in me? And so I never want to come away from the Word of God with a wrong reflection of myself, but only a reflection of myself that is indicative never of who I am, but of who He is. Because like my friend Mark, people will pick it right off if it's false, amen? They'll know they'll see. So we want to be the, the living embodiment of him, and we can only do that by being students of his word. We can only do that by setting the standard of his word as the blueprint by which we live, as the plumb line of truth that we follow. You know, Paul admonished Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 to rightly divide the word of truth, saying that Timothy is not going to come easy. You're going to have to dig down deep. You're going to have to study you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to seek the Holy Spirit and rightly divide this word of truth because this word of truth is infinite and you are finite. And so this is no light matter. This is, no, this is not something we approach callously or in a relaxed manner when we go to the word of God, but with all seriousness and all reverence. The first thing we need to know, I think, is this just another religious book, though. And there are other texts, faith-based texts that people adhere to, that people believe in. So we're talking about this being the plumb line. We're talking about this being the standard of truth for all people, all times, everywhere. And Christianity does admonish that, right? We do advocate that. It's not just true for Christians. It's true for the whole world. God's word is the standard of truth for all humanity, whether they believe it or not, whether they accept it or not. But how can we support that? Now, any students here who are in, is Anna in here today? I don't know if she's in here. I didn't see her. Okay. I was going to say, it's going to be a little redundant for them. But you know, the Bible was written over 1,500 years by over 40 different authors, from prophets to priests to farmers to kings. And folks, it tells one narrative, one, across 66 books, that is God's plan to redeem mankind from sin through his son prophesied about in the Old Testament and fulfilled six to seven hundred years later in the New. Now, Max Anders is a theologian who years ago did a mathematical study on this and, and said <clears throat> eight prophecies being fulfilled from the Old to the New Testament by one individual, most of which events he could not have controlled, could not have controlled the circumstances of his birth, could not have controlled the circumstances of his crucifixion, could not have controlled the circumstances of his death, like when the Scripture uh, prophesized that no bone of his body would be broken, he was already passed away. So many things Jesus could not have controlled, yet were perfectly fulfilled from old to new. He said the probability that that would happen even eight times 
is like 10 to the 157th power. And the analogy he made to that is if you were standing in the state of Texas and you were up to your knees in silver dollars and somewhere in the whole state of Texas, there's one red silver dollar, the probability that Jesus would fulfill eight prophecies from old to new is the probability you find that red silver dollar. Anybody know how many he fulfilled? Not eight, 48. Folks, this book, 1,500 years, 40 authors, 66 books, one narrative, 48 prophecies fulfilled, and that's just the messianic prophecies. There were 300 and something. Shouldn't exist. It shouldn't exist. And if you compare it, if you contrast it to other faith-based texts, you will find that it is incomparable in its credibility and its validity. This is a miracle in and of itself. And so we do want to rightly divide it. It is not myth, it is not metaphor, it is truth for all of us. And we want to understand it and how it transforms us into becoming the people God created us to be. Now, it, it, it blows my mind to think about being their age again and going, where do you guys go? Do you guys go to Centrifuge? Do you do your own camp? Where do you guys go? Where do they go to camp? Do your own camp, and uh, is it just you guys, or do other, you join other kids in or whatever? Okay, okay, both campuses. So that might be a little different what I'm talking about. We, we used to go to these camps where all these youth groups would come in, and, and you know, Brian and I have done stuff like that, and uh, I don't know, you guys know how it is. You, you kind of want to, you're there for God, yeah, you're there for the Word of God and, and all the activities, but you kind of like to meet somebody, right? You kind of like to see somebody. You know what I mean? It's like that. Is it still like that? You guys still like to do that? Maybe not. Okay, man, you got them trained well, Brian. You know what I mean? <clears throat> I don't want to say, I, I'm all about God. I don't want to meet no boy or girl. I don't want to be distracted. That's how you guys are, right? You guys are unique in that. Listen, we'd go off to camp, and I'd meet some gal, and I'd be, what is it? Do you guys still say Twitter pated? You guys even know what that means? Twitter pated? I'd be taken with this young gal, and students, I want you to listen to me. After camp was over, everybody went home. You know how I'd communicate with that gal? You know, it was going to blow you away. I would take, watch this, I would take a piece of paper and a pen, and I would write to that gal on that physical piece of paper. I would fold it up, put it in an envelope, stamp it, and send it to her. And I would wait weeks, days, whatever, to get one back from her. And this would go on usually until she got tired of writing to me, you understand? But I have wondered how many girlfriends would I have kept in touch with through all the youth group years if I had FaceTime, if I could have text, you know what I'm saying? How does that work, guys? I mean, do you guys just keep in touch with everybody you ever meet everywhere? Because it's so easy to do now. But I guess they, even with all those mediums of communication, I guess they still get tired of it sometimes. Why did I share all that with you? Listen, when I was young, like them, and I would get that letter from her, I would pour over that letter. I read that thing 10, 12, 20 times. I know, that's sick. That's obsessive. That's all we had. Because I was so interested in what she had to say. 1,500 years, 40 authors. 66 books, one narrative about our salvation, 48 prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. Why so often? We're having it right in our hand. Why don't we pour over it? 
as someone who desperately wants to know what's in that letter. You know, there's a, a division of belief, not as common anymore. There's, there's deism and there's theism. Deism, God is there because they can't really explain intelligent design and morality, so you got to have God. But we don't want to believe it's the God of the Bible, so he's there, but he left us. He's, he's the Bette Midler God. Remember Bette Midler? God is watching us from a distance, right? But we believe he's, he's a theist God. And you know why? Theist God means he cares. Theist God means he's not an absentee dad. He's there and he cares what happens to every one of us. And you know how we know? Because gods who don't care don't write you letters and they don't send you saviors. He's involved. And this is one of the two biggest ways that he's involved. This plumb line, this standard that we call the word of God. Paul's writing to Timothy from Ephesus, about Ephesus. Paul's writing from prison. Timothy is pastor in Ephesus, and Ephesus is the epicenter, cultural epicenter of the world at the time. A lot of trading, a lot of coming and going, a lot of corruption moving through the church, and Timothy's trying to do damage control here and keep them focused on the word of God and keep them focused on the persona of God and not going the way of human flesh and human thought and human preference. Timothy's having a hard time, though. So Paul's training him, Paul's teaching him, Paul's encouraging him in this letter. And the leaders of the church of Ephesus, the religious spiritual leaders, sadly are not a lot different from the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees of first century Palestine, Jesus' time, were way more interested in having kickbacks with Rome and keeping their political prestige and keeping their power positions over the people than they were in actually seeing what God was doing. And when Messiah was right in front of them, because of their pride and prejudice, they completely missed it. And this problem is repeating itself again with the religious leaders of Ephesus. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 is our key verse today. All Scripture, Paul admonishes young Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Timothy, everything you need to discharge your pastoral duties to the church of Ephesus that's struggling, everything you need is right there in the word of God. Don't let man's nonsense, don't let man's preferences don't let man's desires, don't let false doctrine from bad teachers dissuade you from what you know is true. But the problem is, and we see it in our world, we as finite human beings trying to discern an infinite word, because that's what we believe, right? The divinely inspired, infallible word of God. And I'm going to try to discern it with my bozo mind, I'm going to get it wrong sometimes. I'm going to disagree with you about what it means sometimes. Listen, do we have factions inside of factions? Do we have a lot of Protestant denominations? And then there's all of Catholicism as well. Southern Baptist, First Baptist, Free Will Baptist, Independent Baptist. What am I missing? There, it goes on and on. That's factions of a faction. When I, when somebody's upset, I left one out. 
Trinity Baptist. Primitive Baptist. Okay, that's Brian. Okay. <laughs> Primitive Baptist. Listen, why does that happen? Because the finite struggles to interpret the infinite. But there's hope. This is the standard. This is the plumb line. This, this, is, this is the truth that we must adhere to to become the people God created us to be and do the things God created us to do. Here's the hope. The simplicity is found in there as well. John chapter 3, verse 30. There couldn't be a more simple verse in all of Scripture. Jesus said, well, John said, I must decrease and Jesus must, what? Increase. To put it in layman's terms, less of me, more of him. Right out of the word of God. Any child can understand it. And isn't that true of the gospel? We were lost because of our sin, and we were not able to save ourselves. So God sent his son to be born of a virgin and live a sinless life and do for us on the cross what we could not do for ourselves when he bled and died to make atonement for our sin. And he defeated death in the grave, not only for himself, but also for us when he rose again. And he ascended to heaven and imparted to us the Holy Spirit to guide us through this world. Can a child understand that truth? Used to love uh, those Jeff Slaughter VBS, Lifeway VBS songs. Remember the uh, Hawaiian one many years ago? A, a wiki, B, a wiki, C, a wiki. These are the keys you need for learning Christianity. If you want to have a gift that is totally free, if you want to be with Jesus for eternity, you got to A, a wiki, B, a wiki, C, a wiki. A, a wiki, admit to God that you're a sinner, repent and turn away from your sin. Quickly, quickly, be a wiki, believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he gave his life for you and me. See a wiki, confess Jesus as your Savior and your Lord forevermore. Here's my favorite part. It isn't tricky. That's it. It's not tricky. What makes it complex, what makes it arguable, what creates factions and divisions is not him, is us. And when we look deeply, going back to James, as we look in a mirror, we want to find more of him and less of us. That's what we want to come away with when we deeply delve into the plumb line that is the word of God. Romans 7, 18 through 19, for I know that nothing good lives in me. It's a great thing to acknowledge before I go to the word. Nothing good about me, nothing about me that's able to interpret the word right, but he can interpret it for me by his Holy Spirit, right? There's nothing good in me in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is there. It's with me, but I don't have the ability to do it. I don't do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. This was Paul's struggle. Man, it's human nature, isn't it? To want to do the things we don't want to do and fail to do the things we want to do. And I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't relate to that on some level. And I'm so glad that Paul wrote it down. This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. I want to do what's right. I want to interpret the Bible right. I want to live according to the plumb line of Scripture. I want to live according to the standard of truth. But I, in my humanity, I struggle. And here's another one. In um, Tim, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But know this, hard times are coming in the last days. For people to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, 
irreconcilable, unloving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. Now, folks, understand there are nuances of Scripture we must catch lest we come away from the mirror not seeing what we should have seen like a goofball who thinks he's something special. This passage is an admonishment to avoid company that would lead us away from God, to avoid company that would lead us outside of God's truth. It is that, but it is also an admonishment to us not to be that company. When it says avoid these people, it's not me stepping back, okay, I'm gonna make sure I stay away from people like uh, you know, these young men right here. Now I'm going to make sure that I don't become one of those people. That when I look in, intently, as James says, into that mirror, which is a reflection to me of who God wants me to be, that I come away with that understanding in all humility, having acknowledged right as I went into the scripture, right as Paul admonished Timothy, right as all of us must acknowledge when we go to the plumb line of truth, we are finite, we are flawed. Every single year, five years now in at DCA, classes of 40, 50, 60 students are we students, whether there's atheists in there, agnostics in there, students of other belief systems in there, or whether they identify as Christian, every single year, every single student, 100%, are we fundamentally flawed? Yes, Dr. Court, we absolutely are. So is it possible that all of our presuppositions, all of our preferences, all of our desires could possibly contain flaw? Yes, they absolutely could. So how do we know what is true? You measure that by validity, you measure that by credibility, you measure that by archaeology, you measure that by history, and the Bible is supported well by all those things, but ultimately you measure it by the relationship you have with God and how he speaks to you through his word, which means it's so tragic, right? If this is the plumb line, if this is the level, if this is the standard, it's so tragic Do you know that statistics say that very few church-going, Bible-believing Christians today even take time to read the word? It was the first question I asked. I, don't you guys may not, Brian knows this about me. I like to get online and I won't say I troll, but I like to get into conversations where I can do some apologetics. You know, people get mad at me. Can you believe that? People get mad and I, they, they say things like, there is no absolute truth. And I say, is that absolutely true? <laughs> you can have a lot of fun online. What's the standard? How do we know what it is? You dig down deep in the recesses of your heart and the Holy Spirit speaks to us if we acknowledge. I don't know. I know that I think I gave this on my notes. I guess they'll throw it up here in just a minute. The safest place in the world to be is inside the will of God. Can you guys say that with me today? The safest place in the world to be is inside the will of God. Let me hear you say that. The most dangerous place in the world to be is outside the will of God. So how important is that we, finite humans, be able to interpret the word of God so that we can stay in that safe place? Looking at this passage from Timothy, from uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, all of these bad things, do some of these human preferential desires creep into the body of Christ? Has that ever happened in the church? Or we always get along, 
We never have business meetings that go south. We're always encouraging each other and always doing everything right because we're the church and we've arrived, right? Listen, we have divided over styles of music. We have divided over aesthetics. We have divided over money and how it is to be spent. We have desired, divided over styles of preaching. We have divided over programs. We have divided over doctrine. And instead of agreeing to disagree and not breaking fellowship, continuing to seek God as the standard of truth, we broke fellowship and formed a faction, formed a faction, formed a faction. Is that what God wanted? Or did that simply come from human preference? Because when you read this list, as ugly as it looks from 2 Timothy, all of this is preference-based. All of this is human desire. And if we are to truly be able to adhere to the Word of God, the infallible, inerrant Word of God as our standard for truth, the first thing we got to do is lay down human preference and lay down human desire. If I ever go into a theological discussion thinking, I'm arrived, I'm the one who's right because I have special revelation from God, that's just not going to go well because I haven't had enough humility to see and admit and understand that God might have something to say to me through my brother who disagrees with me. And maybe it's a point that's not discernible to us now but would be discernible later. But how awesome would this be? What if we were to take the things that are discernible all of those things we learned in the ABC song from Vacation Bible School, that, that God loved us enough to send us a Savior, and he died for us and rose again so that we could live. What if we took that simple truth, Protestants and Catholics and every faction within, and took it to the White House lawn and in one voice said, Jesus is Lord? Would that, would that revolutionize this great nation we call America? Unified the church, one voice, because of the simple truth about Christ that we do agree upon and we do understand. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Before I read that, <clears throat> any handyman in the house, I mean, there's some guys in here, you guys can fix anything. Fix a garage door, fix a sink, fix a door handle. Who, who are you? Come on, I know they're in here. Who's some handy? All right, you guys. Hey, guys, let me tell you something. I don't want to give up my man card. I'm a moron <laughs> about that stuff. You guys would have laughed really hard. Years ago, I, I, was gonna, I bought the kit, the, door, the doorknob. I bought the kit, and I took the old one off. There's a big hole in your door, and I had this orange cat. And I was working on the doorknob, and I was, I was about to get cussing mad. I'm going to be honest with you guys in church today, okay? I didn't, but I was about, you know how you almost get to that point? And I couldn't figure that thing out. And that dumb cat, he come outside, he come around, and he got stuck his snout right through that thing. As if to say to me, you are a moron. I wanted to box that cat. Tried to help a friend of mine just build a little porch on the side of his house. We got well into it. We're doing good. I was feeling good about myself. I'm a man now. I know how to build things. Until he found out 30 minutes in, you haven't been leveling anything. We got to go back to board. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock, though the rain comes and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on the bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. 
when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. The blueprint, the plumb line, the level for me to live right, for me to live true, for me to become the person God created me to be, young people. I gotta have it. And I can only discern it through the Holy Spirit of God. So when we go to it, we go with all humility, knowing that we're flawed, knowing that we're errant, asking for him to help us. And there are simple truths in here that we'll pick off right away and we'll, we'll know and we'll agree almost universally and there are other things we'll have to rest with, wrestle with. But what we wanna come away with is not a vision, not a picture, not an understanding that's flawed, like somebody who thought he was great but wasn't so great. But what we wanna come away with is a clearer perspective of our, of our Heavenly Father and who we will be when we live according to his will and his plan. Why do we correct children? Because we know they'll be wayward if we don't. We do that out of love for them even though they don't like it all the time and God's that way with us. You know, as a personal trainer, that's what I do as a supplemental income. I have to help people understand on the front end, you're gonna have to eat right and you're gonna have to work hard. And once you get your goals, once you get to the fitness you wanna be, you're gonna have to work the rest of your life to maintain it. Church, is it that way with the word of God? Yeah, we don't get to a place where we arrive and we've read it enough or we've understood it enough or we've done enough. Now I'm the Christian I need to be. It's constant work every second of every day of our life to be molded into the image of Christ. So this is why the scripture says to train, Paul said to Timothy. And then equipping, James talked about being doers. Paul told Timothy to do the word of God. A lot of doing in this message today. Why? Because it's like bringing you to the gym and telling you everything you need to do in great physical condition and giving you none of the equipment. Okay, I know what to do, but I'm not equipped to do it now. Doing is the equipment God gives us to mold us into the men and the women he purposed us to be. Do the word of God. Do the work of will of God. Live according to the standard of scripture. Let God's word be the plumb line whereby you make choices. Serve others in his name. Do the work of the church. Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And in so doing, you will be shaped in to the people I created you to be. By my word. The standard, the level, the plumb line. Are we teachable church? Are we willing to put God's plan over our preferences? Are we willing to put his design over our desires? Is his word the standard by which we measure choices? Will we be guided by the infallible word of God which contains no error or will we be guided by our flawed humanity which is always errant? Do we want to be the church constantly in need of correction like the church of Ephesus or do we want to be the church that Paul and Timothy were fighting for a church that is not guided by human design but only ever by God's I'm going to pray and the band's going to come Father thank you for today what a privilege and a pleasure it has been to be with the fellowship of Mount Juliet I sense Father that you're doing incredible things through this congregation I sense there are people in this room who go to your word and look to it as a mirror so that they can come away from it being more Christ-like and understanding more who you want them to be. 
Father, we know that being finite, being flawed, it is not always easy for us to interpret your word. It is not always easy for us to come away with the right understanding. But everything worth having is worth working for. And we would not stop trying, Father. And we would universally agree on those wonderful, simple truths about Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for our sin and rose again so that we might live. We would let him be the author and perfecter of our faith. And we would look to your word to guide us into all truth, just as Paul did for Timothy. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name.